A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in today's episode? I interviewed Omar Kawaja, who's the head of business intelligence at Roche Diagnostics. To be clear, Omar was only representing his own viewpoints and learnings, not necessarily those of Roche. So I've got my kind of takeaways from the conversation that I think sum up Omar's point of view on things. So number one, if you are going to make progress in a data mesh journey, you must be okay with good enough. Perfect is the enemy of good and done. Measure, learn, and adjust along the way, but get moving and keep moving. It's okay to make mistakes. Make it okay to make mistakes. Recognize and correct them and move forward. Number two, echoing a number of past guests, change management and organizational challenges will take a large portion of a data mesh implementation leader's time and effort likely far more than most would expect. People keep thinking that this is a more of a technological challenge until they start down the journey and it's much more organizational. Focus on empowering people and showing them why this can work for them and what it means for them. Number three, data mesh cannot be your entire data strategy. If you are implementing data mesh, it must only be part of your data strategy. Start from the why. Why undertake something as transformational and difficult as implementing data mesh? What business value do you think it will deliver? Number four, data as a product thinking is the true heart of a data mesh implementation in Omar's view. It's far more than just creating data products. 
Data product discovery is crucial, much like discovery in regular product management. Take considerable learnings from product management in other disciplines. Number five, focus on outcomes in day-to-day work. What are you trying to deliver? What is the value in it? For whom? How will we measure if we are successful? And were we actually successful? Number six, we need to get data people to rethink creating point solutions, sometimes called project management thinking, where they deliver a dashboard and the dashboard itself is the focus. This leads to fragility that could be prevented by focusing on the entire data lifecycle to create the dashboard with the dashboard and many other chances for data reuse as the output, not only the the dashboard as the entire focus. Number seven, Roche is being quite flexible around who develops data products. It is all about the capabilities and needs. Often it is data engineers in the domains enabled by the central platform team to kind of use the other, you know, parts of reuse and patterns and, and sensible defaults and things from other domains that have kind of gone before. But it can be data or business analysts or software engineers too creating these data products. If the data product isn't overly complex, or if a business analyst really understands data, why can't they be the data product developer? Number eight, it would have been the definition of insanity, you know, trying the same thing over and over and expecting different results. For Roche to just move from an on-prem data lake that was having scaling and quality issues to a cloud data lake, many other aspects of their data approach needed to change. It just wasn't going to change by, by changing where their data was or the technology behind it. The organization needed to unlearn and relearn a number of things, and Data Mesh was a great vision for where they could go. Number nine, Roche saw some duplication of work across data products, so they adjusted and made their data product discovery and design phases very public. Making it public can increase collaboration early in a data product's life as well, so you might find additional data consumers in the development phase. I think this is a concern many have that there is going to be duplication of work. How many teams are going to create the exact same data products or a very, very similar or whatever So I think coming up with good communication plans rather than trying to solve this with technology, it it worked for Omar and his team, and I think it will work for most other, all other teams. (laughs) Hard to say, but I think it really is a better approach to trying to prevent duplication. So I think you'll enjoy the conversation and learn a lot from it as well. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode here. I've got Omar Kawaja, who is the head of business intelligence at Roche Diagnostics. 
Um, and before we jump in, I want to make sure the the disclaimer of he is only here representing his own viewpoints and learnings, which is kind of the way everybody on the <laughs> podcast is doing it as well. But um, wh- why I asked Omar on was, you know, Roche has been pretty public about their journey and what they're doing. And, and I think you know, especially at such a large and complicated organization, it's it's really good to start to take a lot of the, the different learnings there. And Omar's been kind of involved with the community from the beginning of kind of throwing some nuggets out there of what he's seen and, and um, some of the challenges that they're running across, as well as some of the um, potential solutions or potential patterns that others may may implement. So we've got a whole lot of things that, that we're going to kind of poke at and dive into. So I think it's going to be a really great conversation. So with that, Omar, as the backdrop, if you don't mind, could you give folks a little bit of an introduction to yourself? And then we can jump into the the conversation at hand. Sure, Scott. Thank you for having me. Really excited to have this conversation with you. Uh, So as you introduced me, I'm currently working as head of BI and analytics for Roche Diagnostics, working out of Switzerland. Um, it's been a two-year journey so far in Roche. Before that, I was with another pharma company in Switzerland, Novartis, for 10 years. I originally stemmed from Pakistan, where I was also working in Unilever uh, uh, as head of MIS and before that in IT. Uh, so I've been involved in data and analytics uh, all my uh, professional career in the past 22 plus years. And uh, uh, it's amazing to see the progress and the uh, you know we have made in so many different ways. And now we are talking about the latest paradigm data mesh over here. So great to be here. <laughs> so you know there's there's a lot of different things we could jump into, but uh, one thing that I thought you'd have a very unique perspective on was the idea of business intelligence, right? What does that even mean when we think about data mesh? Because so many people are saying, oh, you know, there's no longer a business intelligence department. There's no longer a business intelligence function. Like, are you, how are you thinking about it? And and what have you learned so far about how that might start with your journey where the, the end point, your end vision of that is, are you embedding the analysts into the domains? Are you like dotted line, solid line reporting, all that fun questions. <laughs> so let's let, you know, many, many questions I just threw at you, but like, let's, let's jump into that. What's the concept of BI and data mesh? So um, before we jump into BI and data mesh, let's look at the BI concept, right? <laughs> Um, and my job title is even head of BI and analytics. So I hope I know what I'm doing. Um, I, I like the term because I use it to define the whole spectrum of data and analytics from very traditional uh, analytics, like, you know, the predictive one, as Gartner have defined, all the way to the prescriptive analytics as the model goes. So I think PI term was quite prevalent 20 years ago when we did not have the analytics word even existing in the dictionaries. And uh, it was business intelligence this, business intelligence that. Uh, the fancy tools were still from business objects, for example. Uh, that the, the technology was not that much advanced, I guess. And I wish we had the tools that we had now, but things would be amazing. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's where the BI thing started. And I still 
look at my role uh, describing and covering the entire spectrum. But at the in the context of uh, data mesh, if either you read Jamak's article or uh, various blog posts and comments, including my own, sometimes my team and department uh, or uh, the department equivalent to mine in other companies is that classic monolith department that exists. Uh, uh, we would have been the ones who would say, let's build a centralized enterprise data warehouse or a center, uh, you know, enterprise data lakes of this world. And everybody in the entire company associated with data, whether it is a business analysts or a data analyst, or now with uh, data engineers, developers, analytics engineers, or BI developers, whichever role you pick, one would imagine that they will only exist in a centralized BI department. And that is exactly not the case anymore. I, I think we have tried those things so many times. We have uh, tried and tested that the centralized approaches have their limitations. And that was also one of the, let's say, a thinking behind choosing to apply a data mesh approach. And it's nothing to do with technology. It's all about the organization setup, as you were calling uh, so in, in my team, for example, we have tried to structure the team which are domain aligned at one end, as well as we have these enabler platform teams as well, including data scientists, including the platform product team, which manage the platform for those domain teams to work on. So that's how I uh, see it, uh, because the as in, in the world of data mesh, if, or in general, if the projects are happening or the data products are being created, I think they will add significant value if they are done very close to where the data is produced, very closed in the domain, and not completely a disconnected team sitting somewhere doing that work. So uh, I think the BI word can remain business intelligence, but can evolve and mature to include such variety of the organization setup. And what, when you're thinking about, especially when I think about data analysts, there are a number of organizations that are kind of having the data analyst, this is kind of sparked by one of the last sentences you said there of, you know, you're sitting the BI people inside the domain close to where the data is originated. Are mm -hmm. you looking at these, you know, BI people, the data analysts as the people who are prepping the data for external consumption? Are they, you know, working on the data within the domain for its own internal consumption? What, like, are they, how do you start to think about doing kind of cross domain business intelligence, you know, Lot, lot of very deep topics that could probably be each one their own podcast in and of itself. But like, would love to kind of get at the high level what what your vision of that should be, or or what your vision is of of where that's that is now and where that's headed. So traditionally, Scott, what has happened that people have been doing these point solutions, and those point solutions were I have a need to develop some insights, which I will visualize in some form of a dashboard, of course. And that dashboard is the only thing I'm worried about. And that business 
analysts, that citizen data role, whether you want to call them data citizen, data scientist, even to some extent, although I think there is a wide variety out there. The, the focus in uh, in in a more conscious uh, pre-data mesh world was just that dashboard and insight. And they were doing it for one particular reason, to give that dashboard to certain end users, right? That person could be sitting in IT, that person should, could be sitting in business who's developing that dashboard at the end of the day. Now with the data mesh approach, our thinking is evolving that the focus is not the dashboard itself, although the mechanism might still be the same for various use cases because you have to visualize the data. You have to tell that data story in a most compelling manner so that people can take actions from it. But there are few things missing in past which have led us to the point where we don't find data reusable. We cannot even find where that data is. We don't re, uh, we rebuild the pipelines, the so-called pipelines uh, from source all the time. And then all of us complain about it, you know. So some cycle, this cycle needs to be broken. So in an ideal world, it's the domain specific teams, these data product teams responsibility to break this cycle and while they are delivering these outcomes for those end users in the shapes of providing them certain insights, certain dashboard features, they are also making sure that these, uh, the sources of that data in the shape of these data products are reusable, not just for one specific use case where they started, but they have this evolving mindset of, this is my product, I'm going to shape it so that it can be used again and again and again, uh, wherever the use case is of that data, of course. And that mindset makes a big difference. That mindset changes everything. And hence those business analysts, while they give amazing input to define a more structured uh, view of that data for a particular use case, the backend people like the architects and the data engineers are designing things which are very close to that domain, but at the same time for other use cases as well. And they are making an effort to make that data findable so that other domains can discover it and uh, other users can discover it, whether it's a citizen data scientist or a, any anybody who's looking for certain type of data. And they make it easily accessible uh, or in other words, they follow the six, seven characteristics as Jamal def defines, or uh, in, we have been hearing this term fair, right? Findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. Making that data product fair is something which is um, which makes a lot of difference. And we need to, of course, do that. Um, and that's, that's how I see an ideal scenario where those teams are making this possible. So... When, when I'm thinking about what the business analyst actually does, do you see it as more that they're analyzing the data or they are the ones that are helping to structure those data products? Because I've, ha I've had a couple of people that come on where they flipped the role of the business analyst, where they're focused on kind of prepping that information. Like they're, they're the ones that are doing the kind of final shaping of the data product. 
because they're the ones who really understand how people consume data. So I would love to kind of go through like, how do you see the different roles? Like who, who are your data product developers? What, what do the, the architects do and, and what do the business analysts do and, and things like that? And maybe a little bit of thinking behind why you've, you've decided to, to use that as your structure now. And not that that's necessarily locked as we learned more, <laughs> we may yeah. find that, uh, you know, uh, that it's, it's, uh, more scalable if we do it in this other way, but like, what, what have you learned thus far from kind of the different roles and, and how you structure the team? So th- that's, that's a very important point, right? That team design and composition is not fixed. It depends on where the organization is in terms of maturity, where the use case is in terms of maturity in that domain. If somebody is starting from scratch, I would encourage that right size the team with the people with the right mindset into it. And uh, there, of course, there is certain jobs that needs to be done, not just one time, but that team now owns everything, the code, the data of that data product. It's not about centralized IT teams or platform teams monitoring the data pipelines anymore. Those platform teams are enabling capabilities that will help those own product teams to monitor them. But who is that in the product team, right? So it's a mix of people. And uh, those roles, Scott, can also differ from the various practices that you, an organization, may follow. It can be if you are simply following Scrum. That's that's maybe you have a different composition of team members, especially on the product owner, product manager type of Scrum master type of roles. But if you are following SAFE and you have a big organization and you have matured into a scale agile world, your, pro- your product team's composition might be different. At the end of the day, where the work is taking place, you are still looking for roles which are responsible to define the overarching architecture. I, I personally think we don't need the so-called solution architect. I'm going to use a big word, solution architect here. Uh, other varieties of this could be data architect and even grander scheme of things, information architect. And some of my enterprise architect friends might disagree with me, but when I use the word architect, it can be any of that. The, the bottom line over there is that this person is the one who's really rolling up the sleeves, knows how the various technology component could work to make deliver that use case. And they, I don't think you need it for product team by product team. It can be a domain specific role. And in a mature world, this might be the person who knows the source systems as well, very well, ideally speaking. So that those can be a domain architect type of a role within that domain. But the work of getting the data out of that operational plane into that analytics plane, data engineers are doing. Uh, We use the word data engineer as well as tech lead, as well as developers, because it's all quite flexible right now. There is no, in my view, there is no need to fix it at the moment, at least for us. Uh, If you follow certain blogs and books around data team structure, you might be hearing the word analytics engineer, which is close to what you were defining, where once the data is really in that analytics plane, 
what transformation business logic is being encapsulated within that data product to make it consumable as one of the output ports, for example, that might be done by the so-called role of analytics engineer or a developer or a or a or even that business analyst if they are tech savvy. Really, doesn't really matter. the The key aspect is that it's not a one-time job. If that data is flowing every day, every hour, real time, those transformations might be required on a continuous basis. So, what is your data ops pipeline, and hence you need to be serious about this, right? It's not like one-time solution type of a role. But what uh, what is the output that looks like that can be consumed by various BI tools, for example, or can be consumed by some API? There, that business analyst who understand that business process where you are consuming that those insights is very instrumental. Because that business analyst might be somebody who has matured from an organization point of view into that analyst role because of their data tech savvy kind of a background, or they have been working in this dashboard type of a world for quite some time. They understand the business metrics and KPIs and how they are consumed. And hence, they also understand what is the modularity of the data that needs to be considered and business logic, et cetera. Let's not forget, there is something existing in, in the non-data mesh or a pre-data mesh world. Something is there. You, uh, I, I refuse to believe, unless it's a complete brand new company, that no insights are being generated or no kind of a data warehouse or a data mart exists somewhere. Um, it can be an Excel sheet or a G sheet or some kind of a database, but something is there running. So how do we include them? into these domains and data products, they play. They can play an amazing role to even expedite this journey rather than leaving these people out. Uh, uh, they, uh, Scott, come to think of it, these people, if they have the passion, can evolve into that proper product manager role even. Uh, they, they can take up that role and make sure that their data product is used because they have that passion and they have that knowledge. Uh, that they can now channel into this data product creation rather than a dashboard creation. It's, it sounds like if, if I were to sum up a lot of what you're saying there is, is that focus on the capability, not the, the role or the title, and that each organization may have different needs. So you might like one thing that I've been talking about is when you have kind of frameworks or templates or starter kits or, or whatever, sensible defaults, all of that, there's a lot of use cases where you don't need to go overboard. And so a business analyst could, you know, as long as they can learn a little bit about setting up the, the pipelines and things like that to actually do the transformations, it's pretty easy to get them to be the, the developer for certain complication, you know, not uncomplicated data products. And that every team should be looking at what do we actually need to solve for this instead of we want to have a cookie cutter approach. Now that that's a frustrating answer for certain people because they want to take that that stamp and just go, okay, here's your team in a box or here's the 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 team and this is the way every team should look and and that. I think you've got 
a different challenge and it, but it also kind of a, um, a luxury that some organizations don't have in that your size of your domains is presumably large enough that you can have that kind of flexibility within the domain, which, yeah, I, I know, I know it's kind of funny to, to think about how complex a domain is and very large domains, but if you've got enough people in the domain, you can kind of have that flexibility within that, but you do have to kind of enable the people to, and and tell them that they also have the responsibility, not just the right, the responsibility to really think through how they're doing this and not just to apply a cookie cutter approach. Is that is that kind of how you would sum up a lot of what you were saying there? Yeah, absolutely. Focus on outcomes, not too much hide behind the roles. Uh, another, another thing, yeah, let's call it out, right? Uh, you know, in, in a very... Traditional manner, people have used this citizen data roles and sometimes even call them shadow IT type of setups. I think those days are gone. We need to embrace that data roles will exist everywhere in a big company, which is a great thing to have if the organization wants to become data driven. But that community of data people needs to stay connected, needs to learn from each other, uh, they can they have empowerment to make difference in their respective domains. And uh, how do you s- establish that culture of data out there? That's, of course, a challenge. If people are willing to learn, this will exactly happen what you just said. Those business analysts can mature into maybe those capabilities to do that work. But focus on outcomes and, uh, to, and the ownership. That's, that's important in this in the world of data mesh. Yeah. So I think with that, a, a good kind of transition point is really managing data as a product and data mesh as a product, right? You know, you, you don't want to have a product that is as huge as your data mesh implementation and think of it as a single product. But like, how do you engender that, that really as a product thinking, right? Like the platform, the literacy program, the, you know, every aspect of it, how do you get people to transition towards that? What, what have you learned from that? Were people willing to do that? Was there any kind of secret sauce if people were saying, okay, we get what data products are. I, I heard, uh, listened to a podcast over the weekend and somebody was saying, oh yeah, I've been be- creating data products. So I know how to do data as a product. And it's like, no, that's, that's no, that's, you've been creating these, these, you know, implementation details instead of you actually understand how to manage your overall creation and curation and really thinking of that. So if you could give people some insight into what you've been doing, what you've learned, maybe even some missteps, if, if you could help people avoid those as well. Oh man, this is this is a lovely topic. Uh, in in fact, when I spoke at the Data Mesh Summit, I was calling these four principles: mind, body, heart, and soul. And I personally think that this data as a product principle is the heart of Data Mesh. This is where uh, things are starting to become real. And um, our, our learning has been so many folds, Scott. Right, so. Uh, there are some good things that we have learned. First of all, 
going back to the history of data product and data as a product, as you just described as well. If you look at how, uh, you know, if I remember correctly, back in what, 2000 something, Raj, the, you know, the, the head of data science in the US, they, he, he defined the term data product, things that use data. Now with the digital transformations and COVID, everything uses data. Everything is a data product. But we are not specifically talking about that in a generic way. We are saying treat your data as a product. That's the principle. Your product teams are responsible for doing that. Our, our learning have been, instead of focusing on, hey, here is my data sources within the domain. Let's find out what we can do with it. Instead of taking that approach, which is like, here is the haystack, do something with it. We are really focusing on learning how to do proper discovery of the data products we really need to focus on the business outcomes that are uh, either either opportunities or the problem areas to meet the company's goals. That's a very product-oriented approach. There is This has been there for decades, but now we are applying towards data, for example. And, and that's what I like about Data Mesh. It's bringing those good practices, not just technology, but organization, design processes, and governance together. So in doing that, this first and foremost focused on what are the outcomes I need, who's going to use my data product, and then defining where that data come from and what are the pain points we have over there the whole discovery process, that is something which is very important learning for us. Another key thing is that, which was our learning, uh, just putting people together is not going to solve the problem. Not going to happen. We need to be very conscious about the mindset change that we need, especially if people have been comfortable with the traditional waterfall as well as that you give me your requirements and I will deliver the work for you versus we are one team. We are focused on that end user as our customer internal or external in some cases. Here are the outcomes expected. Here is what we are going to deliver and that's what we are going to do. This is what we own. This is our feature backlog, blah, blah, blah. This is not, this does not come naturally. You, any, and if that company is going through the journey for the first time on this product management, this needs to be uh, a conscious change management uh, activity that needs to take place. And it's all people. It's not technology. It's not about tools. It's about people, mindset, and process, and behaviors. And I would highly encourage people not to underestimate this. This is one of the big challenges and one of the reasons it's a big paradigm shift. Of, uh, but the benefits I see, Scott, are amazing. Once those team members, whether it's a team size of four or a team size of 12, whether they come from IT or business or internal or external, does not matter. Once they, they understand and realize we are an empowered team, magic starts to happen. It's like it's a well-oiled machine that keeps on delivering on a regular cadence. They are so proud to showcase the work in their sprint demos, for example. They are not uh, 
hindered by the challenges that they face, whether it's technology changes, challenges or something else. It's amazing to see that machinery work. Uh, it's a living and breathing heart, basically. And, and, and that's why I love it. And one thing in there that you talked about was um, that kind of discovery process. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting um, thing. I've, I've talked about data product marketing and, you know, data product management and that, like, I kind of want people to start to to maybe even use the term data quantum. So then you say data quantum product management, because otherwise it's data product product management. <laughs> and that that's just sounds goofy. But that we really do take those learnings of product from so many different things. And there's that initial discovery phase, exactly what you talked about. There's the minimum viable product. There's the the even pre-minimum viable product of like, let's really scope this out. Let's let's have that conversation as to what could this be used for? And part of Data Mesh is about having kind of those um, aha discoveries where you do, you create something for a specific purpose, but you create it with reuse in mind. Somebody else can discover it and go, oh, I could use this for this. And then they can also have that conversation with the data product owner and go, well, if you had these other three things, it would take our our value from, you know, we can have, you know, five value points of this to 50 value points or, or whatever, that if you added this additional thing and that, um, but that you create that capability for people to understand. So I, I think that's a really, really important point that doesn't come up uh, nearly as often. And then yes to the change management, like that change management aspect that so many people are like, well, this seems like a big technological challenge. And I don't want to say that it's, it's easy from a technology standpoint to really get to this with interoperability and all these different things, but really it is about creating momentum on your journey and kind of leveraging what you've got with Conway's law of like, hey, let's let's get the momentum going and we can figure it out and we can figure it out together and we'll focus on that. But I, I think that was kind of exactly when you talked about it being really the the heart of of data mesh is is learning how to do things as a product. It's not even just yeah. data as a product. It's it's not the data itself as the product. It's the data function as an actual product function and all of that. So yeah. I think you, you made a lot of really, really useful and good points that people need, that need some reiterating on that. So um, if you wanted to react to that, uh, happy to give you the space, but I also kind of wanted to talk about um, just in general, what was the the tipping point or what were the signs for why you knew that data mesh or that you had a need for something very different and not necessarily that data mesh was the answer, but what was the tipping point where you said, we can't keep doing this or we're really struggling here. Oh, uh, it's a, it's an interesting story. Uh, so this is, this is part of my journey. When I joined the company, my, my first task was to create a strategy. We had some strategic priorities identified one of them was around architecture and technology refresh and really scaling up on that. 
And that was the point where I was reminded of one of my favorite quotes from Albert Einstein, which is, it's insanity to repeat the same things and expect different results. It is very simple and powerful quote. And so in other words, shall I do another enterprise data lake, but on cloud this time? Shall I build another enterprise data warehouse and then complain that, oh, it is too slow? My data lakes will become data swamp very soon because that's the pattern we see nearly everywhere. Those were the thoughts and the thinking behind asking the question, what should be the way forward? And uh, those of you who read the works of Adam Grant, he he wrote a very nice book called Think Again. It's it. It was the, I think the timing was perfect. I was looking at the way forward that the organization needed. Uh, This quote was there to make me think again. The book was there with some solid, uh, nothing to do with data, by the way, but uh, amazing, amazing way to think, rethink what we know, you know, how to unlearn and learn new things. And then uh, while pandemic was not good in general for anybody, It was maybe very good in terms of establishing communication and collaboration everywhere. And this was my trigger to reach out to Jamak and told her that her article has literally made my life upside down, you know, her first article, for example, because uh, all the experience I have in terms of doing things, she nicely points out that this is how things have been done. That's the last 20, 30 years of data history, which is rightly so. And uh, it was eye-opening conversation that what does she actually mean? Because the book, the blogs, your community, nothing existed at that time. It's pre, it's September, November 2020. So I spent uh, a lot of virtual hours talking to her, understanding. That was my trigger point of deciding, yes, this could be one of the things that if we try, It is uh, not about technology anymore only. It's about organization. It's touching people. It's touching processes. It's, of course, about data. And it is something to do with technology as well, but in a very different way. And if you read anything about how companies become data-driven or they don't become data-driven from the works of like, you know, Thomas Devonport and all, you see that these four characteristics are the key Uh, levers everywhere which you can variables that you can move up and down and that built my confidence that this approach could be it for example Uh, second um, it's a it's a big shift for companies if they are not the believer of decentralization Uh, us we rosh we believe in this decentralization we have this culture we have this culture of empowerment very, very strong. And it seemed like a very nice fit uh, that, yes, let's execute upon this. And of course, not to forget one of my colleagues, uh, they've, they've already started some work at a strategic level to look at domains, to look at data strategy before even I joined. And it was following the data mesh approach, but they were, it was not executed in terms of building the data products, for example. So I think it was uh, the right time to combine the uh, forces and take the leap of faith and say, hey, let's do it like this. Uh, 
let's learn from this. Let's find the people who are willing to take the first step, who are the brave souls who will work on this, both on business and IT side together. And that was the, let's say, the beginning of our journey in in first quarter 2021, just last year. And one, you said two words combined together, which I think were really important. You said one of, right? I think when people hear data mesh, they think this is our data strategy. And it's like, no, it can't be the only aspect of the data strategy, right? It's not that, oh, read the book and you know exactly what you need to do with data. It's, it's, it's this sets you up to ask the right questions. I, I had somebody who was trying to create the data mesh uh, frequently asked questions, the FAQ. And I told them, well, there are 300 questions that are really quite frequently asked. There's another 300 that are decently frequently asked. And there's another 300 that most people haven't gotten to until they've started to answer those other questions. And you don't have to answer all the questions to make progress to move forward. I don't want to frighten people from that standpoint. But like it, there, there's so much within this, but it's not just like, okay, read the book and you know how to do data. It's like you have to encapsulate the way that your organization works. Exactly what you talked about, that if you don't believe in decentralization, that's kind of something you need to, to really, an empowerment and that, you know, you want this centralized control. You know, if CDOs really, really want that centralized control, they're not going to be pushing for data mesh anyway in general. But, um you know, you, you kind of have to wrap it into your overall business strategy and even your overall data strategy. And so I, I think that was a really important point that you made within that. So um, the other thing that that I wanted to talk about is you, you have been on this journey. Um, can you start to talk about you know, not not monetary numbers or anything like that. Don't want to get into any safe harbor statements or anything. But um, what are you seeing as kind of the the benefits or the results? Or what are you seeing as that kind of, how are you measuring your early successes? Like, how can people think about where they could think about where that success is going to come from? Is it, you know, all of a sudden you've got these uh, amazing insights into everything and that it's, you know, kumbaya or is it that you're going to learn how to do data better and that's the the signal the 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 thing that you're measuring kind of up front or all of that uh, this is definitely a shift what value are we trying to deliver that's coming first now that's not after the thought that hey let's build a dashboard and think about what value will it deliver because the dashboard looks fancy with 400 charts. I have a new chart that I can explore. No, that's that's not there anymore. Or that's not really the first thought that's coming to the mind, at least. Let's 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 keep let's stay there. But what we are learning to do is that focus on that value proposition, the uh, the outcomes that we are trying to deliver, because they will really drive how are we going to measure the success, whether we are delivering those outcomes or not. They, uh, come to think about, we are really talking about those goals, those objectives, and then we are talking about those measures, those key results that will tell us whether we are getting there or not. 
sounds very familiar with the OKR approach, but applied to this type of a kind of an opportunity value tree type of thing or a lean value tree type of an approach, which is very best good practices of discovery that you think about how will I achieve those goals? You might achieve them in a number of different ways. Those are your hypotheses that are taking place. And those there could be many use cases that drive those uh, things. And then comes the data. So even before first line of code is written, or before we identify whether the data come from internal ERP system or external cloud sources or anywhere like that, we look at what are we going to deliver and for whom and how we are going to measure it. That's the biggest shift. That's a 180 degree shift, Scott. And if we are able to capture that during the discovery from day one, it's a learning process. Sometimes we forget about this. Sometimes we need to keep on reminding. It starts to encourage collaboration and transparency, and it starts to encourage people to measure those results after a regular frequency of the rollout or the launch of their product. Did we move the needle? Did we realize that value? If we promise to deliver X percentage of bottom line savings in different shapes and forms, if we envision to result in some certain things which will have a positive impact on the top line, did we were we able to capture and measure that? Because if we are doing that discovery pro, discovery work properly, the people which are familiar with that domain will ask the right questions. How we are going to measure those results as well, so we can identify whether we are on the right track, whether we have reached our goals or not. So. It's easier said than done. It's a very business-focused discussion now, all of a sudden. It's not a data-focused discussion. We are not talking about, hey, I have ingested uh, 60 objects with 500 fields in each object into my XYZ system, and I'm going to do something with it now. Why? <laughs> Why? And I've done that, right? I've, I've done that, by the way. So I'm not pointing figures. I'm asking and thinking about my own self that I have done that just five years ago. It was a very common thing. That's what data lake approach usually meant. Let's bring the data in and we thought we'll think about it afterwards. No, build what you have to do. You will be able to achieve it faster because you're not wasting time in bringing those things which are not needed. You, you can architect maybe things two, three steps ahead. That's a job of the architect without a doubt. But Beyond that, yeah, let's not try to boil the ocean. Otherwise, we will not even be able to attribute our success towards those goals and results. I, I can tell that you've recently been on the cataloging cocktails or that, that conversation, <laughs> if you're saying don't boil the ocean, because I know Juan <laughs> says that all the time. I mean, everybody <laughs> says it, but um, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, you said a lot of really good things that I want to kind of uh, highlight there, especially... So uh, there's an episode that's going to be coming out soon uh, with uh, Jean-Michel Coye. And um, sorry, Jean-Michel, if I murdered your last name again. But uh, I just I can't pronounce French very well. But um, he he was talking about he's got these three questions. And, and so much of it is exactly, you know, who is this going to be used for? 
not like you're not pushing back and saying you, you know, is this really worth it? Like who, like, why should I care about doing this? But it's like, do you really know what the use case is? You need to have that intentionality around we're going to build to something where we think it has value. And I think this is a conversation that people really need to have about data mesh as to um, are you building data products that you you are pretty aware of what your expected outcome is? And sometimes your expected outcome doesn't come true. You You expect that this is going to power a machine learning model. And if we really get this machine learning model uh, humming, it's going to drive an additional 5% of top line. But we have to test out, is this machine learning model even useful first? And so you're like, okay, we need to figure out what's the chance of, of success of once we get the information in and is it worth it? But that you actually have those reasonable expectations and that if it's not worth it, you shut it down. It's a product. It, it didn't have success in the market. It's okay to shut it down and, and things like that. The business conversation is really, really useful. And I think the, the last point you made was having a better insight into the kind of next few steps. Again, so much of what we've done in data is those vanity metrics and the um, okay, let's do this thing because it's going to be cool and we think it might drive some value. So let's just do it and see what happens. Instead of that intentionality of, here's what we're trying to achieve. Let's work backwards, right? You, you said that earlier as well about finding, discovering the data products or discovering the information flow that you need to drive value, right? Those business-focused discussions are are so crucial. So I, I think you've said a lot of of really important points about that. Would, would love to kind of get your thoughts on kind of how that's kind of tying things up together around what we've talked about. Yeah, it's uh, it's exactly that process. And uh, I must not paint a rosy picture because sometimes you get it wrong, uh, especially when you will start growing. The decentralized nature of not just the data mesh, but decentralization itself has a risk of duplication and a risk of silos even. That's that's the nature of it. So how to address that? And we, we have uh, launched a few things which are really, in my view, will be game changer. And I, I might be biased towards this because that was my idea. But uh, nonetheless, <laughs> <laughs> shameless plug there. Uh, but uh, I think this domain orientation and the empowerment and the speed to value that we can enable and if we provide some kind of a mechanism for collaboration and transparency to these data product teams, they can learn from each other discovery and influence them as well. Just like you were saying, hey, I've seen you come up with this data product, your product backlog and your value hypothesis, etc. looks like this. In next three months, we are looking at something in this area, in my domain, and I would love to use your product to deliver this. How about we collaborate and you deliver and I will align my timeline with you. We are not there yet and we are getting there very, very slowly. But these conversations can only take place if people feel comfortable about being transparent about what they are doing. And they don't fear that somebody is going to stop the work, for example, for them. And we, we are 
we are definitely going into this direction. And uh, this, this definitely, uh, you know, the thinking that you have to have of what's beyond this immediate use case is all product mindset to me. Uh, it can be translated into some enabler enabling technologies. So you, in, you invested something which is not specifically for just immediate use case. You might invest in something which is forward-looking. That's definitely a good job of an architect or this uh, platform team looking into capabilities, for example. Uh, you might invest in some education programs, which has nothing to do with technology directly, but it's all about process and learning about how to use them, for instance. Uh, this is, this is the let's say, the, uh, the key considerations when you are pushing back those centralized roles into those domain-specific teams. So how do we build talent everywhere? How do we increase that... Uh, uh, what's the right word? Talent, talent density, right? We don't need mediocre people. We need some amazing product people everywhere, and that's that's what you can do with uh, finding people with the right mindset, coaching them, training them, educating them if they have the willingness. Ha having said that, Scott, we learned that in the absence of transparency, we might have actually we we got it very early, but I must tell you there was some duplication taking place and we caught it. We quickly fixed it. The result was very positive because all of a sudden the team, which, which was one step behind, uh, all of a sudden they went three steps ahead because the product was already available. <laughs> right? So they didn't have to rebuild it again. They simply reused it and they realized the benefits there. For, so they became a very strong spokesperson of the whole concept. Uh, the learning for us was how to provide early visibility, not to wait for things to push into the final production and then the catalogs and the lineage which follows afterwards, but to provide that early visibility that how many teams are even working across how many domains and what use cases are they working on and what value are they trying to generate and what data products they are working on. During that design, discovery, and development process, that, that to me, I think will be a game changer. We are trying it right now. So I might do a post in six months and tell you whether it was successful or not. Uh, but I think that visibility and that collaboration mechanism enabled for all the product teams can be a game changer. Yeah, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think one thing that, a lot of people fear is in historically in data, especially with the enterprise data warehouse, if you didn't get it right, you said this early on, like the speed of your data warehouse, it's not just the speed of the queries, it's the speed of being able to change relative to your real world is changing, your understanding of the real world is changing. That's kind of the way applications are when you're doing research and development, all of that. And so what we've had is those changes are so painful that people think that with data mesh, you have to get everything right up front. And it's like, if you if you have the right understanding of people that are consuming the data, that things will change, but that it's not a sudden breaking change that you didn't know was coming, that it's okay to, to have those duplication or it's okay to start and that there are data silos to start. 
because you're providing as well the change fabric or whatever, the, the really big change in the way that you work together that if silos start to emerge, it's not like this is the end of the world. It's okay, we need to address that, right? Like let's 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 figure out how we prevent this from becoming an issue and that we bring that that silo from back into the fold. If we if decentralization only ends up in silos, we've failed with data mesh, right? Like yeah. that is a failure. Even though you've got high quality data, if you can't combine it, that is a failure, but we don't have to say everything has to fit into the exact same model and that, okay, we're going to design a model that doesn't really fit any use case. So we don't really get much of the value from any use case, but it all interoperates. So therefore we've won. And it's like, no, you've, you've lost, you've lost so much context. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, when I was talking to Juan on the other podcast, right, he also asked me this, do we have to make progress on all the four principles or not? And I, I tell them, I tell, told him what I'm going to tell you right now. Yes, but not everything needs to be perfect. And I, I'll give you an example. No need to wait for the perfect domain definitions of every other single domain in the company may never happen. Because the business is also changing, you might even find new domains while you are on this journey. People may not understand what domain is. So why? And I'm looking forward, by the way, to hear the podcast of you and Olson who talked about that, taking that library approach, not to directly jump into that software engineering DDD approach. I'm, I'm, I'm going to listen to that podcast and give my feedback. But when I was reading the, the notes, like, yeah, interesting. Let's think about that. So that's one thing. Secondly, you may not know all the discovery approach from day one. It's okay. Chill, relax, <laughs> take a breather. The, for the first timers, important to focus on the outcomes and understand and having the right people with the right mindset is the most important factor for me. That's, that's absolutely necessary. The, the the third and the technology principle side, right, on the on the self-service data infrastructure, I can tell you out of my experience, it will never be perfect. It has to be evolving and maturing and a living and breathing product on its own that matures with the feedback coming from the domain teams and the product teams. When, when we started, I think we had just four capabilities enabled from day one. Literally four, nothing more than that. And it has evolved in the last nine months to the fact that we have automated so many things which are beneficial for the domain team so that they are not reinventing the wheel, that the, the, the roles have changed, that how the platform teams can be set up. And you may not need any governance if you are starting with the first domain because all right, what, what are you governing? That is the only team working. But as you grow within the domain, with multiple domains, with cross-domain initiatives, naturally you will need this federated governance. And not just that, your platform will enable some computational part of it as well. So I encourage people to understand what that federated computational governance means. So... It's like a slider bar for each of those well, uh, those principles, right? You 
have to make some effort progress on every of them, but doesn't have to be perfect and doesn't, the organizations don't have to wait for all of them to be ready to work, to, to start their journey. That's, that's my view on this. Uh, and it's kind of goes with this whole product mindset approach that you learn, you grow, you build upon your success. It, it's maturity, right? Like it, you, the, you don't start as an adult, you mature. And so like when you're talking about governance, I talk about, you know, CYA or cover your butt. Um, and that that's the biggest point is like, m- don't put yourself in a bad situation by just saying everybody's got access to all the data. But outside of that, really, it's like, okay, we can figure this out. We can evolve. Like this is an evolutionary framework. It's not that you have to, you have to thread 73 needles all together. Otherwise it's not, it's like, okay, your, your, your picture hasn't exactly emerged or you have an end picture in mind, but you're not really sure how you're going to get there and your picture can evolve and all of that. So yeah, I'm fully on the same on board with exactly what you're saying. So, um, so th- this has been phenomenal conversation. Um, I want to be cognizant of your time as well, but is there anything we didn't cover or is there any way that you'd like to kind of wrap up the conversation and kind of everything that we discussed today? Um, Scott, great conversation. Uh, I think there are so many topics that the time of course do not permit us to cover everything. <laughs> Uh, which is which is fine. Uh, there, there is a lot to learn. We, I'm on the learning journey. I encourage people to comment and share their experience so that we can learn from them. Um, um, your community is amazing. You know, it started with humble few people, and now look at that. What fifteen thousand? <laughs> what what? Uh, it's amazing. And uh, we deliberately, I think. Uh, and that's the nature of the data mesh. It's not a technology solution, right? So it's great that we did not spend time on that at all, which is amazing. Um, so I think we covered all the topics, Scott, <laughs> for today at least. Awesome. Yeah, and 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 I, I thought I think it's a really really helpful to you gave a lot of people a lot of permission to not have it all figured out to give to move forward. This is something I'm. I'm trying to uh, engender in a lot of these conversations of people who are moving forward, who everyone's saying, oh, these people are successful. What's their secret? What all did they do before? And it was they, you know, a lot of times it's the courage to say, okay, it's good enough for now. Like, let's move forward. Let's learn. Let's incorporate that learning and taking that that product mindset exactly that you talked about up to all aspects of how we deal with, with data. It's not just the data itself has to be a product. It's product mindset to all aspects of dealing with data. And so I think that was very, I think you, you really reinforced that in a lot of the things you said. So I think that's, and, and the empowerment, you said empowerment a lot. And I think that's really crucial to trust your team, right? You hired them for a reason. They're on board for a reason. So, you know, you, you want to empower those people as well. Um, so uh, if people want to follow up with you, where's the best place to do that? And, and what would you like people following up with you about? You know, if you have a call to action or, or you know, or presumably you're also hiring as well. But <laughs> what's, what's some kind of call to actions from, from this conversation? Yeah, I'm um, reasonably active on LinkedIn. So people can contact me there. 
Uh, I'm slightly less active on Twitter. So I will keep, you know, encourage people to approach on LinkedIn. Uh, love to use Slack even, your data mesh learning community on Slack. I think that's an amazing source of a lot of rich content. Um, and uh, we can we can discuss a lot of things there. Um, by all means, we have just started our journey, right? So there is so much to learn and, and things are evolving. And uh, with the experience of other companies uh, trying out data mesh and these four principles. So I'm open to learn from all such implementations. I, I love to hear how people have tackled the data domain topic, for example. What When they say they have defined domains, what does this mean? You know, uh, We always use the word or misuse the word data ownership. Are they struggling the same way as we are? I love to share notes there. Um, I absolutely don't like the word governance at all. I simply uh, despise it. And I would love to talk to people who share the same sentiments <laughs> around it. But I'm more curious to know what else they call it. What do they call the so-called boards? I, I don't use, I don't like the word governance board at all. So what do they call those meetings that are taking place? Um, I, I have no idea, right? So I'm, I love to uh, hear from people what they are uh, doing, love to learn from their implementations and any tips that they have for us to improve. Uh, so all these topics are valid. I've heard a couple of people mention things around like data value accelerator for the governance team, because that's the point of if if you can flip it from, you know, if you need help around, you know, kind of the, the actual governance, what people have thought about, but they are there to add that value. So if they're a value accelerator, then people are like, oh, I get to work with the team that's helping me accelerate my value. And it's a little harder in a very um, uh, kind of uh, monitored industry like yourself, that there's a lot of uh, highly regulated, that there still does need to be that care around that regulation. But um, and, and Adidas actually in their one of their posts that they put up, they had this crazy concept of every single uh, column starts off marked as PII. Oh, so okay. that way you have to have intentionality around unmarking it as PII. So then data product owners are like, I feel way more comfortable sharing way more data because then you have to actually, you know, it, it's not, did I let something slip through? They just, so like, there's a lot of those mm -hmm. little weird things that are coming up. But um, so uh, again, Omar, thank you so much for the time. I think this will really help a lot of people feel comfortable moving forward. Like, I think this is the thing is, is you don't go in and you don't smash the monolith. You de decentralize with care, but you also understand that you're not going to know everything up front and you're going to learn. You're really going to learn and you have to be in that mode that you're okay with that to actually get value out of data mesh. And, and just one comment, Scott, right? You, you said it, let's, there is no need to smash and throw away the decades of learning of the monoliths or the data warehouses or the and the data lakes, I think the key message is how to harvest what we have learned into this world. I, I, there is so much good things that happen, but there were limitations, so many. And uh, the, the, can we use a different approach and not, exp, uh, you know, have in, end up being insane? That's the message. That's where we started with, right? And 
I don't want to throw away all the good things that we have learned from data lakes and data warehouses. I think there are some very good practices that we can follow. And how do we take those and build into this world with this product mindset, with empowerment, with domains, uh, with uh, people taking ownership, right? That's how I would, let's say, bring it all together. And, And what learnings do we take from outside the data world? Like data world has been so insulated from that. But um, yeah, exactly. So uh, Omar, thank you so much for the time today. And and thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. I'd again like to thank my guest, Omar Kawaja, who is the head of business analytics at Roche Diagnostics. You can find a link to Omar's LinkedIn, as well as his presentation at the State of the Data Mesh by ThoughtWorks in February in the show notes. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. April of 2023, I left Datastacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.